You're listening to B-Side, where musicians tell their story of what happens in their life after they step off the stage. It's Saturday night in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and I'm here for a special edition of B-Side. This one's got a twist. We're about to meet a musician who is living proof that you can not only have a second act, a B-side, but sometimes you can even flip the script and get back to the A-side. For 21 years, Vanessa Briscoe Hay was a nurse at the Athens Regional Medical Center outside Athens, Georgia. She worked as a staff RN on a unit specializing in caring for urology, gynecology, and nephrology patients before and after surgery. But before Vanessa Briscoe Hay spent two decades caring for those patients, this was her gig. That's the Athens, Georgia band Pylon with the song Stop It. Pylon came out of the same scene as R.E.M. and the B-52s. But unlike those bands who went on a huge commercial success around the world, Pylon remained darlings of the underground, cult heroes whose influence far outweighed their commercial success. Their first two records, 1980's Gyrate and the 1983 follow-up Chomp, were way ahead of their time. A blend of jagged guitars with drum and bass grooves that made you want to dance, all pierced by a singer whose yelps and growls kept things both menacing and fun. In 1987, when Rolling Stone magazine named R.E.M. the best band in America, R.E.M. drummer Bill Berry said the honor actually belonged to Pylon. Trouble is, Pylon had broken up four years prior when the band decided it wasn't having fun anymore. Now Pylon's back, kind of, and clearly having fun again, and their new iteration is playing on this night at the Market Hotel in Bushwick. The singer and frontwoman of Pylon is none other than the registered nurse who put in 21 years at Athens Regional Medical Center, Vanessa Briscoe Hay, and this is her B-side. Vanessa Briscoe, hey, thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to talk to you. You have recently retired after 20 plus years as a nurse, a registered nurse. Before we get to that and what you're up to today with Pylon Reenactment Society, I want to talk to you about kind of where it all started with Pylon. Take me back, if you would. You set out in your life wanting to be an art teacher. Yes. And Pylon seemed to approach music as though it were art. It, it, it was. It was. It began as an art project. I came to the University of Georgia art program uh, in uh, 1973, and I graduated in 1978. That was the year in Athens that was completely given over to the B-52s and then the B-52s moving away. And there were a lot of things that we were interested in that were going on in New York and Europe and London and, you know, all these places where art and music were cutting edge. And Brandy had this idea that he would start a band as an art project. 
Well, Michael, his remake, tried to talk him out of it. He was like, well, it's all already been done. You know, I don't see where they need another band. And he said, no, 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 no. You know that magazine that we get, New York Rocker? I'd like us to go to New York, do this band, get written up in New York Rocker, and then break up. And so it became like an art project. So in the fall of 1978, Randy and Michael got together, and first they were deciding who was going to play what. Michael pretty rapidly settled on the bass because he assumed looking at the bass and, you know, had fewer strings and they don't play as many notes that it might be easier. And so Randy decided to play guitar. So they both had instruments they bought at yard sales, pawn shops, whatever. They started practicing and coming up with riffs and over and over and over. And then upstairs, their landlord, Curtis Crow, who sublet these art spaces below this big loft he had rented, basically, so he wouldn't have to pay rent. He heard him, and he was laying around with his friend Bill Tabor. And Bill went, well, you know, Curtis, what they need is a drummer. Curtis said, well, I'm a drummer. You know, he'd been playing drums since he was a kid. So Curtis went downstairs and, hey, hey, guys, can I pull my drums down here? Do you need a drummer? And they were, like, flabbergasted because that was the next step. And so here it basically appeared from, you know, above, like heaven or something, but it was the next floor up. So they had the riffs, and they were moving on, and uh, they auditioned some guys who were in the art program at the time, but none of them worked out, and they were given, you know, they were like, well, I guess we'll have to use found sounds, and they were doing, you know, records with found sounds like Teacher Parakeet to talk and stuff like that. But one day Randy went, why don't we ask Vanessa? We like her. She was in the art program, too. She'll know what we're about, so... They invited me in to audition, and uh, I did on February 14th, 1979. I went in, and they gave me some lyrics. I listened to the song. I tried to make it fit, but, you know, I'm shaking my head because, you know, the lyrics really didn't fit what they were playing, so I was having to, you know, mess with it, extend words or drop words out or cross words or whatever. And so at the end of the audition, I was like, well, what'd you think? They said, well, we'll get in touch with you. And at that point, I thought, well, you know, that doesn't sound very promising. But they said, what this is, is we're going to, you know, it's an art project. We're going to go to New York, play once, get written up in New York rocker, disband, come home. And I thought, well, this isn't going to take up a whole lot of my life. Right. And so then two weeks later, we played. And so that's how Pylon got started. And you played mostly like in, in house parties and things like that in Athens. And so once you guys found your groove, what was the reaction like? You guys sounded like nobody else. Right. Well, I'd say the first time that we played, uh, people just stood stock still and stared at us. They were like, what on earth is this? And I, I felt kind of self-conscious. I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? They hate us. Oh, this is terrible. Well, I'm just going to push on through and do this. And, um, you know, I didn't say any of this out loud. I never said anything to the guys. But I, I did feel kind of, I don't know what what's going to happen with this because nobody's reacting to it. And so that happened the second time as well. But the third time we played outside the city at a party out in the country. It was a 
big old country house where there'd been some art shows and surrounded by pastures and dark and very humid and B-52s came to the party and we started playing and they were like, holy guacamole, you know, and they just started running around and dancing and all, all of a sudden all hell broke loose. And <laughs> <laughs> after we played, it was like, you know, they, people needed, I think they needed an instigator or somebody to say, this is okay, you know. And so we got that with the bees and they were like, you're wonderful. You need to come to New York. We'll help you get booked. And so they did. And so you got to play in New York and did you get into New York Rocker? No, actually, the first time we played, we didn't get a New York rocker. We got an interview magazine. There was a writer at the time. His name was Glenn O'Brien, and he wrote a column called Beat. And uh, he wrote about us, and he, he gave us a glowing review. It was about a paragraph, and he said, uh, they sound like they eat dub for breakfast. Well, we thought that was hilarious. We were like, what's up? And why would we eat that for breakfast? You know, we didn't know that critics used all these little devices and jargon and whatever. And so we wrote a song about it called Dub. And that's the chorus, we eat dub for breakfast. It was a long time, actually, before we were written about a New York rocker. And in the meantime, we started getting offers to play. And there were, like, fun things to do. So we decided to keep doing it as long as, as it was fun. Fun is a big theme, I sense, yeah. for your, your career with Pylon. Fun. Because several years later, you were opening for U2 on the war tour. They had invited you to open for the rest of the tour. And your response was what? We told our booking agent, no, we don't want to do that. And he said, then why are you in this business? He was pulling his hair out. And we said to ourselves, well, why are we in this business? What are we doing? We never considered ourselves like a professional musicians. We considered ourselves more as artists. I know that sounds maybe pretentious, but it's true because we were using our instruments like some artists would use paintbrushes or whatever. And we were making up our own toolbox as we went. And so uh, we said, well, we're just going to break up. You know, let's do it while we're having fun. People are putting all this pressure on us. We don't really like this business aspect of it. We enjoy performing. We love traveling, but it's time to move on with our lives. And so we had a a series of shows where we went and said goodbye to all these cities that we loved. And we finished on December 1st, 1983 in Athens, Georgia. And what did you do after the band split? Well, I uh, went to work. I had two jobs. At first, I was just a, a weekend person who worked in a group home for Mentally Challenged. And so then I got another job, a part-time job, working for a local copy shop called Kinko's. And so uh, I worked myself up to where I was a full-time person, and then I got hired as an assistant manager. Then I became a manager. Then I had my first daughter. You know, in the process of that, I married Bob Hay from the band The Squalls. And right about that time, before I became pregnant with my first daughter, 
I got shot for this movie, Athens, Georgia, Inside Out. What ended up occurring when Hannah, my older daughter, was about two years old, we started getting a lot of people who were interested, just super interested in Pylon, and were asking about us. We're getting even more fan mail than we'd had before. Our label, DB Rex, wanted us to put out a CD because CDs were a new thing at the time. Sure. And so we did one with, you know, our tongue deep in our cheek that had almost every song we had written on it called Hits. We squeezed, squeezed as many as we could on there. I think there were only two or three that didn't make it. Hits was going to come out, and then this movie came out, and it was like all this attention. And so we were, R.E.M. and uh, the Bees were both like serious cheerleaders. They're coming you guys need to get back in here. I think the world might understand you now. And so this time we decided to approach it as a business type thing. I call that Pylon 2. <laughs> so before Pylon 2 decided to reform, the, besides Athens, Georgia, Inside Out, Rolling Stone named R.E.M. the best band in America. And I guess Bill Barry said, no, no, that, that honor goes to Pylon. Yeah, I was like, Bill, did you mean that? You know, I asked him a few years ago because you surely must get tired of people throwing that up. And he's like, no, I meant, I meant every word of that. You know, he was looking right in my eyes and, you know, he's a huge fan of Pylon. And so that was a very sweet thing to say. But yeah, it was like, wow. So here I am with a t uh, toddler, basically, or two-year-old, and uh, my band's getting back together. And you released the album Chain, which I remember because I remember playing Look Alive on my college radio station back then, because I just thought that was a great track. You also went on tour with R.E.M. and the Beef of the Twos at that point. That seemed yeah. like a good time for the band, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we were actually doing stadium tours and enjoying it. And that's the thing I want to point out about the U2 thing. It wasn't that we didn't like U2. This is a lot of their fans at that point didn't get us, and it wasn't a whole lot of fun to do. But opening for the B-52s and for R.E.M., their fans were more in sync with what our sound was, and they already knew a little bit about us, so it was a lot more fun. Sure, R.E.M. had it covered crazy on the Dead Letter Office compilation. I think that was a lot of people's first introduction you know, a, a wider audience to, to you yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have people compliment me occasionally, even now. I think it's great you guys do an REM cover. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I boy. think it's really sweet. I love those guys. I yeah, Peter, Peter Buck in the liner notes. I read them last night. He had said that he remembers hearing Crazy on the radio, the pylon version, when I guess Murmur had come out. And he, he got all depressed because your song "Crazy" was so much better, in his opinion, than the album that they had just that they had just released. So it was just a nice thing from one art from one artist to say about another artist. It is that blows my mind because the, uh, when Murmur came out, I heard it and I was like, "Gosh, this is this doesn't sound like anybody else. This is so good." Always 
loved R.E.M. So it was so nice to see that. I, I didn't realize that he was depressed, but, you know, it was uh, it was an exciting time to be in my hometown of Athens. I don't think he was depressed in the clinical sense. I think he was just... <laughs> he was like, oh, <laughs> he's just saying it. <laughs> so He's being sweet. After riding high with fellow Athens bands R.E.M. and the B-52s, Pylon broke up for a second time in 1991, leaving Vanessa at a career crossroads. After Vanessa and I took a break in our conversation to let one of the opening acts finish their sound check, we discussed her second career, her B-side, the nursing career she embarked on after Pylon split in the early 90s. What initially drew you to a career in nursing? I had been working for Kinko's. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I wanted to get away from customer service, and I, I wanted to do something that was helping people. So I was drawn to what some consider traditional female jobs, nursing and teaching. So I tried a substitute teaching and found out I wasn't cut out for it, so God bless them. But I have a lot of friends who were nurses and family members who were nurses you know, aunts and cousins, and everybody was very encouraging. They said, you would be a great nurse, and they knew that I'd help take care of my grandma when she'd had a stroke when I was in high school along with my mom. They knew that I I had a, a touch for it. I had the touch. So uh, that's I decided to go to nursing school. And was there anything about your music career that somehow enhance what you did for patients as a, as a nurse? Is there, is there any connection between those two as you see it? I see nursing as both a science and an art. And in nursing, you have to have good people skills. If you're going to be a good bedside nurse, you have to have the ability to pay attention to them, to actually look at them, to interact with them, to see what they have to say, and sometimes kind of be develop intuition over time, educated intuition about what they aren't telling you, what uh, you're saying that might make you need to do something. So you have to strongly rely on after a time, not at first. It takes maybe five years to develop an educated intuition. To be a, a good nurse, it takes that long. So I enjoyed it. I was a charge nurse uh, for a while. I, I worked every shift they had over there, and I did it for 21 years. Wow. I, I loved it. Wow. And then musically, it was somewhere in the late two, 2000s, I guess, that, that James Murphy of LCD Sound System, who was a big Pylon fan throughout the years, and also part of DFA Records, they came to you guys to look to re-release Gyrate and Chomp. Yes, and what is so interesting about that is Pylon had actually gotten together not too long before that. Randy had come to each of us individually and met with us. He was the one that broke up Pylon the second time, and he came to each of us, and he was, I miss you guys. I miss playing with you guys. Can we get together just to do it for fun? And so we did, and in the process of that, we're like, hey, this is a lot of fun. And uh, our drummer, who works in the TV movie business at the time, he got called away to work on Lost in Hawaii. Hmm. And so he had uh, two weeks, and uh, we went, well, you know, to keep this kind of going, we really ought to play somewhere. So we kind of envisioned playing the small plays just for a few of our friends. We weren't going to tell too many people. 
it had to be somewhere that nobody had ever really played before, so there wouldn't be any associations with it. It had to be before Curtis left for Hawaii. And, you know, there was, these things, you know, had to work into that. And so uh, <laughs> people going in and out the door, I think you should leave it in. Oh, it's yeah, like a, definitely. It's yeah, the it's backstage really, at the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, they found this bar that this guy was going to open, but it hadn't opened yet. We're like, hey, can we come down and play? And so we brought in a sound system. We told a few of our friends. We were going to play, and the day we were going to play, we were in there doing a sound check, and we saw one of our friends who was a teacher come running by and basically press her face against the glass, and she was like, she hadn't believed it because she didn't think that we would ever get back together. And people started running past. I went home. My kids had not been exposed to any of this kind of craziness before, and the phone started ringing off the hook. And my daughter was, older daughter Hannah's like, they want to know, Mom, where are you playing? Are you playing? And I said, don't tell them anything. Tell them uh, thank you for calling and, you know, wish them a good day or whatever. This radio station called, and uh, it's a local student station for the University of Georgia. And they're like, Mom, it's WUOG, and they want to know if you're playing. And I was like, this place isn't big enough if they announce it. I'm thinking, oh man. And I'm like, do not tell them a thing. And so she's like, okay, mom. I was like, here, come help me pick out a top and some earrings. So we're just going to stop answering the phone. And so uh, she did that. And then we got to the club. All of a sudden, it was like one of Randy's sons had told UAG that we were going to play. And they decided to go off the air come see us wow (laughs) and all of a sudden there were people who heard about it who as soon as they heard about it they started driving from places like tennessee and alabama and so on and so forth and it was just crazy so the secret show was not so secret not at all no and what year was that that was i think it was 2004 okay that had to be amazing just to, to see you guys back out there yeah. And so in that process, we're going to talk about James Murphy. This is before we heard any of this. So we were like, well, you know, uh, we're getting back together. And uh, we were talking about, well, we should have some goals. And one of the goals was, was to reissue our first two records because they weren't really that available on CD. People were not pleased with the quality of the sound on hits. And it was going for a lot of money. And we didn't think it was right. So we were like, uh, okay, well, that's gonna one of our goals. Well, lo and behold, I think within the month, James Murphy, no, it was the DFA contacted Michael Husky, our bass player, and said, uh, hey, uh, we'd like to do an, a reissue. And our first reissue that we want to do is your album, Dry Rate. It turned out that James Murphy had been playing some songs from that in his DJ set for years. And I mean, who knew? I didn't know. I mean, I've been busy working. I <laughs> right. didn't go to clubs. Uh, right. Wasn't reading anything, you know, music related that much. And so then, you know, Randy, mainly Randy, and then all the rest of us too were involved in various ways. Like I typed up all the stuff for the liner notes, like all the technical stuff and, you know, that kind of thing. I took more of the clerical stuff and Randy 
scouted tapes, and uh, Michael helped him listen to him and decide if is this the cut we used, you know, and that type of thing. Sure. But then in 2009, tragedy struck and Randy passed away. I thought he was the healthiest person in the band. He was the cleanest living guy. He was an art teacher. He rode his bike all the time. I mean, when he was younger, he uh, he was a skateboarder, and also uh, he raced, like, dirt bikes and things. He was, like, kind of like the surfer guy in the band. You know, he was the cool one. And uh, it would have never occurred to me in a million years that Randy would pass away so abruptly, and I'm sure... You know, his family, too. It just broke our hearts. Well, we were in the process of working on uh, putting out the second album for DFA. So everything, when he died, just kind of, you know, it's like, none of this is important. Can't work on this. And, and then, but then we did because it deserved to come out. And he worked so hard on it. And even though that was virtually, that was the end of Pylon, as, as, as you knew it, like you said earlier, one door closed and a window opened, and eventually we come to what we're here for tonight, which is the Pylon Reenactment Society. Sure. And what was the genesis of this of this project? During the time that Pylon uh, were together the third time, I started having songs come in my head that were not Pylon-type material. I had a recording project called Supercluster, and I kind of treated it like I was the manager of a baseball team. And what a fun thing to do. I got to pick musicians from some of the best bands. It was a multi-generational band, some Elephant Six collective members. And uh, two of the members were Kay Stanton, the bass player uh, now, and then uh, later on, uh, Jason Nee Smith, uh, who took on guitar duties after Randy passed away. And so basically it was a recording project, but we did come to New York and open for the B-52s here at the Highland Ballroom. And, you know, we did some touring and uh, whatnot, but not a lot. About 2012, 2013, we haven't formally done anything since then. But in 2014, Jason, who I knew from working with on our record for Supercluster, and as a band member for uh, Supercluster, he's recording engineer, mixer, producer guy. He, he said, look, they're putting together this uh, art uh, exhibit and a series of events for something called Art Rocks Athens in Athens. And this is going to showcase the years between 1975 and 1985 and show the connection between the art and the music community in our town. There are a lot of connections. And he said, I want you to perform and you can do anything you want. I thought about it seriously. And I thought, well, why not? I was like, I'd really like to uh, do some pylon material but you've got to help me get a band together. I said, my number one reason is that I want Randy to be forgotten in the middle of all of this. Number two, all four members of Pylon were from the UGA art program, and we were in a band. So I felt it was important that we were represented. So 2014, we played a show, and we got a really good reaction. The next year, 2015, rolled around. He said, hey, it was a good reaction last year. I kind of like forgotten about it, put it on the shelf, you know. I, I wasn't doing any music at the time. 
But he said, hey, let's see that again. And I was like, well, okay, but you've got to help me get a band together. He said, there's just one problem. Since last time, uh, the drummer, uh, he was playing with it. It was actually his band, Casper and the Cookies, to back me up. To include Kay and himself and a guy named Gregory Sanders who was on drums. And uh, he said that Gregory's having shoulder surgery. I said, well, I guess you've got to find a drummer. So I was downtown at Athfest that year, and I'm standing next to Curtis Crow, and we're watching a Love Tractor reunion show. I said, Curtis, can you come play with us for this one reunion show? He said, no, baby, sorry, I can't. I've got a job. I, ca- I can't do it. I said, well, who should we get? And he said, get that guy right up there, and he's pointing at the stage. I didn't know Joe Rowe from Adam's House Cat. And I was like, well, who is that? He said, it's Joe Rowe. I said, okay. And so the next time I saw Jason, he said, I got us a drummer. I said, oh, who? I hadn't even said anything. He said, oh, Joe Rowe. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And and Joe, uh, turns out, he's a well-known drummer. He was a drummer for the band The Glands. So Pylon Reenactment Society is at once kind of preserving the material of Pylon, but this is a whole new entity. This is a whole new band, and it's not Pylon. No, and I, I didn't want it to be exactly like Pylon. I wanted it to be fresh. And that's one reason I brought in a keyboard player. I told people initially, I said, yeah, you can play it just like the record. I don't think that you should. I think you should bring up some of your own style. I think you should feel it. You know, and they are all very respectful of it. Um, Jason, uh, the guitarist, has really probably had the hardest job because Randy was a non-traditional guitarist and he used an alternate tuning. So he had to go back and figure all of that out. And he was like, I think he got finally figuring out, okay, well, it's an artist playing a guitar. What would they do? So he would watch tapes and he learned it all. I brought in keyboard player Damon Denton, who was a friend of mine, who had done some charity things where I'd sing a song or two and he accompanied me. He's uh, classically trained from Juilliard here in New York. He's an accompanist at the UGA School of Music. And I was like, I want to bring in a keyboard player to make some of the sounds that you would hear, especially on the second record, that you can't reproduce live. I want to make this fresh and of course Damon has brought his own ideas and things into it so somewhere along the line uh, one of our pylon fan friends said uh something has happened you've morphed pylon reenactment society has become its own thing we have well now we've written four new songs we're working our way toward writing a full record great the new stuff sounds terrific too well thank you yeah very very excited so if the theme for Pylon throughout your career, when you started out, you wanted to just do this until it wasn't fun anymore. And now here we are many years later, and you're kind of back doing it again or doing a form of it again. Are you having fun? I am having fun. I'm having a, I've like joked several times on stage uh, and with my friends too. It's like, I can't believe people were paying me to do this. This is just too much fun. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of fun. It's work. I mean, don't let anybody kid you. you got to practice. You know, there's some drudgery involved in getting from point A to point B. 
you don't always get a lot of sleep. One day we were on tour and realized some, you know, because we have to compress our tours uh, into a small number of days. Sometimes we'll, you know, we have a week, we might do five or six shows. And we're just like, oh, we haven't eaten dinner in three days. We've been eating <laughs> snacks in the hotel room. <laughs> I think it's time we ate dinner, you know. <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys are making those kinds of sacrifices for all of us. The music's great. I'm happy that you were able to sit down and talk to me about it today. Thank oh, you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And it's not a sacrifice, not when you love something. Well, no, I'm talking not. about the, the, the dinners, the lack, oh, of, the, dinner. the lack of dinners. The lack of dinners. Well, you know, I can afford to lose a few, but some of these other members, you know, they got to eat. But anyway, it's been a lot of fun, and thanks for talking to me. Thanks so much. Pylon Reenactment Society has released a new single called Messenger. It's got the groove of the band's original material and a great guitar riff you just won't be able to get out of your head. I'd like to thank Vanessa Briscoe-Hay and the Pylon Reenactment Society, and special thanks to the Market Hotel in Brooklyn. I'm Court Harson. Join me again next time for another edition of B-Side.